welcome to the Brothers in Armchairs podcast. We are three friends brought together through our years of military service who share a common interest in movies and pop culture. I'm your host, Kenny, and with me always are my Brothers in Armchairs, Arnez and Dell. Let's take a quick minute each to give our audience a little background on ourselves. Dell mentioned in the last episode that Tom Hardy was his go-to actor, and then no matter what he comes out, he has to see him in it. What other actors are like that for you, either past or present? Um, I have to say Tom Hanks. That's wrong, man. I was going to say Tom Hanks. Seriously? <laughs> wait, wait. This story just got way wait, more wait, interesting. Wait. <laughs> America's <right>. dad present <laughs> even our widow's podcast. Look, look, look. Okay, okay, okay. Listen, <laughs> listen. Gr- growing up, right? Growing up. And I know it's so bad that what I don't even know how old I was. Probably 10 when Bachelor Party came out. I saw it with the family. Okay, I so. Mean, Arnez remembers that he was 30. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you you know Tom Hanks, right? Tom Hanks, he he goes from he goes from bosom buddies, bachelor parties, the comic guys, Joe versus the volcano, uh, the money pit, Turner and Hooch, and then eventually he starts moving into Philadelphia. He's got uh what was that movie, Arnez? Uh Forrest Gump, Gump, right? And he just keeps changing. Now, I'm gonna disregard the two thousand era, not that I don't like it, but when I think of go-to actors, they, they kind of have a long-standing relationship with me, right? And this is this is how I feel about Tom Hanks. You know, I've been there in the beginning of Hanks, and I've been a fan of Hanks as he progresses. And he hasn't been the same Hanks. He's constantly changing. And yeah. that's what I like about him. If I had to pick up someone other currently other than Tom Hardy for me, Tom Hanks. And Arnez picked Tom Hanks. Well, guys, <laughs> I I did not pick a Tom. What? Either Hardy or Hanks. What? Uh, I went with Michael J. Fox. And oh, it's, it's one of those actors where it seems like everything the guy does, I tend to gravitate to, and he's usually good in it. I loved him as Alex P. Keaton on Family Ties. He moves into movies. I love him in Secret of My Success. I love him in Back to the Future. You know, more recently, you know, he did the Spin City. And then after that, he oh, was on Rescue good. Me. And then he was most recently on The Good Fight. I just love the guy. And the more he's on TV and movies, the more I enjoy him. And even in his current state with the battling of the Parkinson's disease that he's got going on, he's still a compelling watch and he's still a wonderful, wonderful actor. And that's my. All right, Kenny, give me the three Fox characters that you like the most. The three Fox characters I like the most. Alex B. Keaton for one, Marty McFly for two. And for number three, I'm going to go with this character from Greedy, which I can't remember right now, but. I really kind of oh. liked him. He was that shyster bowling guy. <laughs> and man, I kind of liked dive, him. Deep dive, deep dive. I liked Greedy. I thought that movie was hilarious. Well, my man, you are definitely a fan. Whoa, that was a big time deep dive. <laughs> I had to think about that. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Well, you know, when we have the Kenny uh, episode, we will throw that one in there. <laughs> and you guys finally get to talk about it. You know, I know how it's been burning through, your, you know, not being able to discuss that movie. <laughs> <laughs> for today's show we're going to start off by rehashing a couple of movies from our last episode choice overload then in honor flag day this sunday june 14th we have prepared a special episode for you channeling into the very depths of his expansive collection arnez has selected three movies for us to review for you Woo-hoo. for you listeners at home the brothers in armchairs celebrate flag day every year and this year we bring that joy of celebration to you but before all that please subscribe and leave us a review on spotify or apple Podcasts. We would really appreciate it. For joy and fun, there's no better manner than to fly a pennant, flag or banner. What fills my heart and makes my eyes moist? Sending a flag up a pole on a hoist. Fun with flags, fun with flags.
right. So I'll go ahead and kick off the rehash. I watched the breakdown lane. I, I said I would. It was a pass on Arnez. It was a pass on Kenny. And it sounded so terrible that it I actually I was compelled. I, I, I had to watch it. And so I put the headset on because, you know, if Arnez liked it that uh, didn't like it that much, I definitely needed to be wearing a headset. And I needed to watch it during a time when nobody else was going to be around to see what's on the big screen. So, yeah. So I put down Breakdown Lane. It is as bad as Arnez said it was. <laughs> but again, it, it's so bad, Arnez. It's so bad. Yes. That I understand what now I understand what you meant when you said, which I thought was funny at the time, you said if they had. If they had a better writer, if they had better actors, if they had better direction, then it, I get it. Because it, the movie was bad from a production standpoint, from an acting standpoint, from a writing standpoint. But if this was a big budget movie, if this had big name actors in it, it if yes. this had a proper director, I think the movie itself could be successful. Actually, I think it would be successful. It was interesting enough for me to keep watching it from beginning to end. Amazingly enough, I didn't skip through it. I just kept watching it. Wow. It had, it, it had its horrible moments throughout the entire movie. But I think overall, it kept me in it. And I would say that, although I would put this up as a pass as well, mm -hmm. I have watched it. And I would say anybody into Grindhouse-style zombie cheese movies, this is on your playlist. You, you should watch this movie at least once. For, see for it what it is. It helped that I knew what I was getting into. But yeah, I get it, man. It, this could have been a much better film. I agree. Yeah. I mean, it, it like I said, it, it had its cons, a lot of cons there. But I think with a better actor, not the lead character, I think the lead character, I think she had better direction, a better script. She could have done very well in that. But I think some of the other characters were, get rid of them. You know, get some new, get some lead people in there, really. Del, did you like the main character? I did like the main character. Not the strongest like actress in the world, but I agree with Arnez. She is enjoyable enough to where if she had better direction and better script, I, I think that I think she could pull it off. And I am curious. I might have to go watch some of her other films that Arnez was throwing out last week, uh, last episode. Well, I'm glad to know that uh, you both agreed it sucked. Review of it was a pass. I'm going to stay with the pass. It sounds like <laughs> I would be better served to watch something else. <laughs> you know, Kenny, I'm with you on that. It, it, it was a pass. I mean, I watched it all the way through and, you know, not suckering me in. <laughs> Arnez, you see something from, uh, what are we, nine shows on the last app? Yeah, no, I did. I actually saw uh, Togo and Scoob. I have to say, Togo, the plot was great. A lot of the characters were great. I loved the story about the dog. I've lived in Alaska, so I thought it was really great. If you're an animal lover, you would love this movie there. However, I have to agree with Kenny. William Defoe was, he was overacting. Oh. It, it just really bothered me. I'm like, you're not in a theater. Stop with all this. You know, he was just going off and on. And I was like, dude, just tell me a little bit about what's going on. You're really trying too hard. Wow. But the dog was cute. The cool look dog, you know, he's holding his own. I thought the animation on the dog's expressions on some of the scenes there were was good. I couldn't really, I can tell it was kind of animation, but, you know, I was like, okay, I can live with that. It's, it's good enough to watch. However, I have to say of the two I watch, I like Scoop better. What um, would you say Togo's a, uh, what? How would you 3P Togo? I would still do it as a uh, pause. Oh, okay. Uh, right. Good movie to watch. Good scenery. I believe they shot it in Alaska, if I remember what I'm reading correctly there. So if you've never been to Alaska, you want to see some of the, the nature that Alaska has to offer, watch it. 
I mean, I know I'm going to wind up watching this movie, whether it be tomorrow or next week. It's on my Disney Plus. It I'm paying for the service. I'm going to wind up watching it. Jennifer and I love dogs, so we're going to watch it. Yeah, really good dog movie. I, I was really, it was really kind of depressing to see that the dog did not get his credit for it, you know, but I can see how the mistake was made and wasn't yeah. intentional. Yeah. But I mean, it is what it is. I mean, all right. So what's up with Scoob? Scoob. I mean, Yes, I'm older. Just seeing some of the characters in there was great. Yeah, uh, baby. You know, it was great. I, I love how they put Scoob and Scrappy together there and just all the other characters they had in there was great. The only character I did not like that was added was Captain Caveman. I don't think, what's his name? Um, Tracy Morgan. Tracy Morgan did a good job at that. And, you know, I, yeah, I get it. He put his spin on there, but it was just lacking. You know, if you were a Captain Caveman fan and watch it back in the day there it was just like wow it was a letdown i still think i'd kind of want to see what a young kid would view that as today somebody that didn't grow up with captain caveman well i I tell you right now my my daughter didn't know who captain caveman was we did watch it and she didn't think twice of it i'm sitting there with this horrific look on my face (laughs) and, and, and it's only because i love what the captain caveman i grew up with now she doesn't know and so when she watched it there's nothing wrong with it whatsoever it was just captain caveman to her so that's her captain caveman so what about the other characters were you happy to see the other characters in there that that were shown you know or did you just kind of like oh okay that's cool oh no no i i definitely enjoyed it uh, especially for the nostalgic factor and and to for all the reasons Kenny was selling it are all the reasons that I enjoyed it. My child enjoyed it just as much as I did for all the other reasons. It was just entertaining. She yeah. liked it. You know, she's 11 and she liked it. So overall, I, it's a play for me. It's it's a good cartoon. It's worth the watch. I don't think it's fantastic by any means. It'll never be on my top 10 list, but it is a great cartoon. I have to agree with you. It, it's a great cartoon seeing some of the historical characters in there. So I'd have to give this a play. And I think with my grandson, grandsons, I think we can all sit down and watch this movie together and enjoy it. Out of curiosity, Del, did you, did you like Mark Wahlberg as Blue Brian Falcon? Yeah. So, and I think I went in watching those characters with, I wouldn't say a negative point of view, but it definitely wasn't a pumped up point of view, you know, because you sold it to me that Ken Jong and Mark Wahlberg had switched roles where, you know, Ken is a serious one. Wahlberg is a comical one. And I couldn't help but just keep thinking in my head that I need funny Ken Jong. Got to have it. Like, I, I need that. Only because, and again, I'm sitting there thinking that way, but my kid doesn't care. She enjoyed it. <laughs> I think it's kind of cool. He could actually play Blue Falcon. Like, he doesn't need oh, to be the cartoon. Walker, he could actually Walker just... can do anything. Yeah. Well, I'm glad, I, I'm glad Scoob worked out for you guys, and I'm glad that uh, I'm not going to get to ever see Broke Down Lane. So... <laughs> You, you need to watch it, Ken. It's no, important. not going to happen, man. We, we both have watched it. We're but brothers. That's only because our brothers, Ken. Arnez said pass. Arnez said pass. Arnez said play on the on the planet or forbidden planet, and that's why I watched it, and I loved it. And he's yeah. right. <laughs> you might love this movie, Ken. Well, yeah. what would you guys do if I didn't come back? It's like, oh, guys, it's a play. It's the best movie. <laughs> you didn't like the part where she chopped the guy's head off? Oh, my God, it was so good. <laughs> All right. Being that Flag Day is a special day for Arnez and that we have celebrated it with him for over 20 years, we agreed to give him the reins for this episode by letting him choose three movies for us to watch and review. They are 1982's The Pirate Movie, 1985's Clue, and 2016's Mr. Church. Dell and I have not watched all of the movies, so a couple of these were new to us. 
did he pick us some winners or did he pick us some stink bombs? No pressure, Arnez. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we kick off our show with Mr. Church from 2016, directed by Bruce Beresford of Driving Miss Daisy and starring Eddie Murphy as Mr. Church and Britt Robertson as Charlotte, available on Netflix. Mr. Church tells the story of a unique friendship that develops when a little girl and her dying mother retain the services of a talented cook, Henry Joseph Church. What begins as a six-month arrangement instead spans into 15 years and creates a family bond that lasts forever. So Mr. Church was Eddie Murphy's comeback movie, sort of. Uh, he hadn't done a movie in four years, and then he came back, which is why it got a lot of hype. In the beginning, when they started the project, they picked up Eddie Murphy. And from that point, it, it got a lot of publicity. Everybody was excited to hear that Eddie Murphy's coming back to the big screen and, and also surprised that he chose to take on an indie film. And because of that, it got, it got a lot of coverage. It got a lot of write-ups, a lot of reviews, and all this other attention. But in the end, it didn't do that well. So I think the part that was missing for this movie was understanding the, the person who wrote the screenplay and why she wrote the screenplay. The screenplay, written by Susan McMartin for Mr. Church, it started as an article. She posted an article on thepatch.com, and it was called The Cook Who Came to Live With Us. And McMartin tells us a quick story, and if you want to read it, we'll link it out. But it's a very quick two-page story, and it's all about her experience with a, with a cook who came to live with them out of some happenstance circumstances. And she became friends with this cook. And throughout her lifetime, this cook imparted a lot of influence on her and her life. And so her goal for the screenplay was to kind of revive this person's character because he did, you know, he did pass away and she wanted a way to kind of tribute him. And so she came up with this screenplay and she's been tried for many years to get this screenplay into a movie. And eventually it started to, started to happen. And then when Eddie Murphy signed on, boom, it, it came to be. And so when I was watching this movie, and I'll, I'll start, and to give everybody a glimpse of what I'm looking at when I see this movie, I'll say that everyone, everyone had a person in their life that, they, that has unknowingly changed their life for some reason or another, right? It could be like a single thing that you witnessed, or it could be somebody you know for their entire lives. But at, in some way, shape, or form, they, they impacted you. Whether they knew it or not, they impacted you. That's what we're looking here. It, it, it could be straight up motorcycle guy, open a door for a nine to five or in a three piece suit. Something like that has impacts on people. And what McMartin shows us is what a lifetime of these examples from one person to another can do to a person, how it can impact them, how it can change, change their life, shape their own destinies, and how everything they do somehow leads back to the person that influenced them. That's what this screenplay, that's what this movie is. It is the point of view of Charlotte, Britt Robertson, and her influence, uh, the influence that she gets from Mr. Church. And that's what we're watching. We're watching Charlotte's take on how this man affected her life. He may not have known that he had that much of an impact, but we get to witness this from childhood to adulthood. And I think that's the, that's the genius for me about this movie being able to follow along with this child's journey as she goes into adulthood and throughout the life of Mr. Church. So overall, if we go into it with that point of view, I think that you will enjoy this movie much more. Now, I'll start off with a couple of cons on this movie. There was a lot of critics. Critics really, you know, they didn't score this movie well. I think even today on Rotten Tomatoes, 
Critics' Choice score is only 24%, but audience scores are 80%. When this thing came out, critics slammed this movie. And a lot of it had to deal with the interracial tones of the film. Mr. Church is black. uh, Charlotte is white. And a lot of the reviews circled around that particular theme, which I agree with with Martin's statements. By doing that, you did this movie a disservice. It's not about black and white. It's about one person's influence over another person and how that dynamic worked throughout their lives together. It's a beautiful movie. And I feel, I feel a loss for those critics that didn't get the message. And maybe they felt they had to review it that way, which is unfortunate. So not received well by critics. It didn't do well in the box office. And it hasn't really done that well post box office. What it did well for was Eddie Murphy's career. It legitimized Eddie Murphy as a drama actor and his comeback. And so everybody, all the critics, no matter what they said about the movie, they commented positively on Eddie Murphy, which great for Eddie. But I think they missed the main, the main star and the main focus of the story is Susan McMartin and the way she wrote this movie out, movie out to be. So some positives that I, from some pros I took from this movie, the performances between Murphy and Murphy and Britt is, is, is incredible. Their chemistry together is done really well. Eddie Murphy, no laughs, no, no laughs, no jokes, but very compelling. And, and there are times where, you know, he is Mr. Church. Oddly enough, he never asked who Mr. Church was or, or he never hit McMartin up for insight into the man himself. He just kind of wanted to play this character as he felt this character was. And according to McMartin, he hit it right on the head. So pretty amazing stuff for Eddie's standpoint. And so I like that. I like that there was friction, there's anticipation, there's a lot of secrets, but in the end, no matter what, they still live together. They still uh, built a long stemming relationship. They've still found love for each other. And that's the pros that I take from this film. And if ever we needed a film like this, this is the time is now, I feel. Everybody should watch this film. Look at, look at the dynamics between two people, young and old, male and female, black and white. It's, it's a good thing to see. And it's simple. They shot this thing in like 25 days. So it is simple. It was low budget. But the impact, I think, on a personal level is huge. I get what McMartin was saying. And I, I totally enjoyed it. So that's, that's my kind of general synopsis of this movie's guys what do you got well i have to say before i let kenny get into this there as you know i picked this movie i mean i think you hit great on the plot points of this movie there the who what when and where i think all the characters had great chemistry together there i think this is definitely for me growing up seeing eddie murphy as a comedian and stuff or an action hero i didn't know he could act like this you know doing this type of drama there i thought it was really good on his part and everybody they picked in this movie to act with him was great. I mean, he meshed very well with them. This movie held my attention. I mean, honestly, I was watching this as I was working and I just kept, I was like, wow, what's happening next? What's going on there? That it was just, I thought it was really great. A great movie overall. As far as some points that you made there, I'm not sure what you call a low budget there, but when I was researching this, the budget was $8 million. And they only made a, a half a million back, a, a little over 685000 back at the box office. But I mean, again, like you said there, the only person I know that reviewed this movie that actually gave it a thumbs up for Eddie Murphy's acting in here was um, Robert Ebert. He gave it a thumbs up, which I yeah, was but like. He didn't oh. like the film at all. Yeah. I like I went through the ages, through the years and stuff. They went from when she was young through college and she was growing up, you know, had a kid and stuff like that. I thought it was just great that they showed that and they showed their friendship there. Um, 
one of the things that I, I noticed is that this movie did come out after Driving Miss Daisy. So I think the fact that that was out earlier, a black man saving a white woman to this movie saving, you know, females, I think that people just kind of like, oh, we've seen it already. But I saw both of them and I like this one better. And again, it's the same with driving. My point of view extends to driving Miss Daisy. It, it wasn't about a black guy and a white woman. It was about two people. Yes. I it was about a woman of privilege and a man who works for her. Yes. You know, some people probably would look at this movie and think there's a lot of gaps in the movie, this movie, that they don't really dive deep into the characters. I think they dove deep enough. Well, that's not fair. You I, already knew where I was going to say. <laughs> you dived in already. You're going to oh, cut me off at the knees before I even have a chance no, no, to get no. in there. Healing I, thunder. Wow. I my point of view. Hey, man, I'll you can't steal you. from one another. There's only three of us. <laughs> I'm stealing. I'm on the good side of it. <laughs> You'd have had time to rebuttal. <laughs> well, before you come out. So. That's right. <laughs> um, oh, I lost my train of thought. See? Oh, no. Hey, hey, why don't I just go ahead and jump in here? Yeah, you're going to like, cut me off. <laughs> Look, everything that you guys have said, as far as the good points, all still remain for me. I think Eddie Murphy was fantastic. I would even go as far as to say Britt Robertson herself is fantastic in this movie. I agree. Both the, the acting is not the problem with this movie, as far as I'm concerned. The story itself, if that's what you want to send to me, isn't a problem either. I can get behind what was going on. I can, I can enjoy it. But where I have the issue for this movie for me is that it's candy with no filling. It's all sugar. There's nothing going into depth here, people. Like, there's nothing in terms of she starts off by saying, hey, you know, uh, my mom was sick and I didn't even know it. But then by the time we get to her older years, she knows already. I mean, obviously, I would, you know, expect that she knows because she can't avoid it. But at the same token, we don't get to see it. We're not introduced to it. So it stays very shallow. And it's the same theme throughout the entire movie. The entire movie plays as a very shallow, candy-coated, you know, mixture of characters where we don't get any depth at all in these things. So I'll tell you that directing is good. Beresford knows how to cut some film. I mean, he made Double Jeopardy, Driving Miss Daisy, Her Alibi. These are just a few of his movies. He knows how to cut it. And the soundtrack is phenomenal, okay? It has lots of timed overtures that bring your emotions up when they're supposed to and down when they need to. So much of the inner emotion is carried by the soundtrack in this movie. But I would tell you, the story is very one-dimensional. And, it, and if Mr. Church is going to be presented to us as this guy that she never gets to know for, for real because of the fact that he won't share it with her, then I can accept that. But what I can't accept is not getting anything about her. Because in all the actions that we get about him, if you're going to leave him this mysterious figure that comes into her life and saves her, then I need to know more about her and I need to see something of depth from her because a lot of what's going on here is just sugar coated candy, no filling at all. Well, I think that, I think that her character is Mr. Church because, because without him, what would she have been? Exactly. Well, I mean, that's another issue too, right? Like he's, he's almost magic. He's got, he's got an answer for everything. We never explore the reasons why she can't afford college. He's got an answer to her. For everything, but he yeah. apparently has a lot of demons that he can't fight. But we're not supposed to know about those because we're not going to get into detail about Mr. Church. Well, so I need kinda, detail about her. Uh, I'll get to it. We 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 do find out what those demons are. Is you got to pay attention. 
Of course yeah. we do. We find out he's got some alcoholism. We find out he's got some issues with his dad. We get those things, but oh, we yeah, don't. Nope. Huh? Nope. Say what? Nope. Yeah, right. Those are problems, yes, but that's not the demon I'm talking about. I just, for me, it just never gets anywhere. And, you know, like, you know, she befriends this drunk army dude, teaches her how to drive, you know, and I just, I don't know. The whole thing to me was just very, very surfacey. And I could see why it's popular. I could see why people enjoy watching it because it has a very good way of bringing your emotions into it and showing you when you're supposed to feel and how you're supposed to feel. And it does a real good job of entertaining you. But for a movie that's supposed to be serious, I did not get a lot out of it. And I didn't feel like it was very in-depth at all. Well, I think, I mean, they had... I mean, if you really paid attention there, the drunk guy, Larson there, you know, she knew him when he was little. She knew what, what caused him to be a drunk. They actually let you know that. They so the fact that about she, it. You, you know that they know each other throughout the whole span of her being in young to her being a mother. So there's little cues in there. If you look away or blink or go to the restroom or something there, you're going to miss that. I mean, if that's if that's the take on it, I mean, I can even accept that I saw that those little bits happen, but I don't get enough out of it. I don't get enough yeah. detail to make this satisfying. And I don't, I don't think I, I think that the the point of the film was not to give you too much detail about any one person. Yes, it's, we get a lot of detail from the the details are between the interactions of Mr. Church and Charlotte. Yes, that's all the details. <sighs> That's we, know, we know a little bit about everyone. Um, like Arnez was saying with Larson, we know why he doesn't drive anymore. And just like a guy in your neighborhood that you've heard a story about, it's the same thing with her. She knows about it. She's not his buddy. He doesn't come over to the house and hang out with her or anything like that. She just sees him around town. And then eventually he, be, he happens to re-enter her life at a very important moment. And they end up, you know, kind of sort of saving each other, which is an interesting way to cap that relationship. I didn't feel we needed to know more about Larson or about many of the other characters in this movie, even the oh, mother. And Poppy. Yeah. Oh, yeah I, just, yeah. I just, for me, if you were going to tell me the stories about her, then I need more about her. And I need a little bit more depth uh, to her. And if you're going to tell me this is how Mr. Church presented himself to her in real life, and this is how she saw him, I can accept that. I can't. I just can't accept what I got in terms of like a character. I don't think... I don't think she's a very in-depth character. I don't think we find out. I mean, she shows up on Mr. Church's doorstep, right? She shows up there. He's clearly not happy that she's there. His face, it says it all when she's like, can I stay here for a while? He seems very apprehensive. And what was the one thing he asked her, right? The one thing. He said, my nights are for me, all right? So now she forces her way into his life. She forces his way into his house. She forces her way into everything and he doesn't necessarily want it. And in the end, maybe he does feel like she saves him a little bit, gives him the family he always wanted. I'm just saying that from her, from a standpoint, we never find out what she does for a living. For all I know, she's jobless, homeless, having kids, living in this man's house, and he's taking care of everything. And maybe that's- She was working at a diner. Yeah, she was working at a diner. When did we see that? You missed it. You like missed it. Why? Because she was wearing a uniform. That's all I'm supposed to take from that. Oh, she's working at a diner. Oh, no, 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 no. She's, she's in the diner serving food. Yes. They go to the church, Mr. Church and her daughter. You didn't watch this movie. I watched this movie. <laughs> this movie is crap. And I'm sorry. I don't like it. And I'm not going to like it. <laughs> we can discuss it, but I'm not going to like this movie. So, so listen, they, for me, it's just, it's, it's, it's a very, very, very simple thing. It's the 
interaction and influence between Mr. Church and Charlotte. We don't get to know a great deal about any of the characters, but I think that that's important because we need to highlight the relationship and influence between the two through the narration of Charlotte. And we need to mute the depth, the diving deep into the other characters because honestly, it's not the point of the movie. And so that's the way I went into this movie. That's the way I watched this movie. And that's probably why I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, Church had demons and, and yes. like people with demons, he's guarded. He has like, he's going to give you what he can from himself, but he does have to battle things out by himself for himself at the same time. Does Charlotte kind of horn in on this? Yes, she does. But I think that if we were to flip the script, there's a lot of influence from Charlotte to him as well. And while we only get that that answer at the end of the movie, right when she's reading that letter, I think you were making mention of that. While we only get that answer when she's reading that letter that, you know, we don't know when he wrote it, but he wrote it and she found it in his box. We do get that nobody would go through all those years caring for somebody if they didn't care for them. So that we shouldn't need to, nobody needs to tell me that he cares for her. He does. Because why else would he be there? He was under no obligation to stick around after his six months was over. After the six months, he started paying for everything himself. He was coming over on his own volition. And for 25 years, he was there for her whenever she needed him. He was there. And you wouldn't do that unless you love that person. I don't need them to tell me. I know. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's what I think they were getting at. So, yes, they didn't get into the in-depth portion of that, but they they showed it, his actions. Yeah. You know, you I about- can appreciate Cake as much as the next person. I just didn't <laughs> like this movie. I found it was all icing, no so, cake. Hey, so, so, you know, in, in real life, uh, McMartin says every day when she came home from school, there really was an actual cake on the table, fresh yeah. baked every single day. I so just for thought- you lovers of cake. <laughs> this movie is for you. So that's Kenny's cake. Right there. <laughs> Kenny, I will say, you know, they actually had Samuel L. Jackson to play Mr. Church originally. Yeah, I saw the interview with uh, uh, Mick Martin on YouTube and I watched it and she was talking about how Samuel L. Jackson was originally casted for the role. I don't think he could have done as good a job as Eddie Murphy. Oh, no, 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 no. no. Murphy played a, played subdued very well. And, and yeah. honestly, like I said, the acting is not my issue. I actually went and researched some other Britt Robertson movies just to f- see if I could find something else that I might be interested in watching. She hasn't done a lot yet. She's an up and coming actress, so... I would, I, I'm going to pay attention to anything she's in and probably try and grab something else, especially if she, she goes some more dramatic roles. So going back to the demon that I, I was, I was alluding to, uh, this is a 2016 movie. So, you know, whoever's listening, here it comes. The demon I'm alluding to is that Mr. Church, whether it be, I don't know anything about the real Mr. Church, but in this movie was gay. Yes. Jelly's bar was a gay bar. That was the demon that he was carrying with him. It wasn't the fact that he hated himself for being gay. It was the fact that during that era, during that time in American history, being gay and open was not an easy thing. And even worse, being black and gay and open was not an easy thing. And so some of the comments that he, when he was drunk and he was talking about, don't, don't call me a, and I won't repeat it here, but you got to listen to those comments because he's arguing with his father And his father is accusing him or calling him names. What were those names? Listen for the names and then you'll understand where I'm getting this from. Church was gay. And if you 
I can appreciate how difficult it is for him to have to hide himself. Folks in the military, there's a, we had a lot of gay people in the military. They've had to hide themselves for years and we've known them. We've worked with them. They're great people, but imagine the struggle on the inside and what was that like? And so that's Mr. Church and he's, he's carrying this demon with him. It's his privacy. Leave me alone. This is where he needs to be him. That's what that all was. And so Charlotte unknowingly had to navigate her life with him around that. I did not catch that. So yeah, that's kind of cool. That's a, that's a cool twist, I guess, to the movie as far as like acceptance and things like that. I did not catch that. It adds, so, it adds a whole new dynamic, especially given now, if we were dealing with today's day and age where the tolerance level is, is, I don't know if it's high, but it's much higher than it was back in the seventies, different story. But given the era we're talking about, yeah. I mean, so you got a guy who compartmentalized his life and we get the full scale of that at the end of the film when they're at the funeral uh, or the wake and Jelly, I think he calls himself Twigs or something. Twigs, yes. Yeah. So he shows up, he makes an appearance. She didn't know that Mr. Mr. Church played piano for 30 years in his nightclub. He didn't know that the dude cooked. And so this is a good glimpse into how Mr. Church structured his life and why he held Charlotte at sort of a distance. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a nice, it's, it puts a different perspective on the movie for me in terms of like not knowing that now being realized, but it's not going to change my (laughs) review. Oh, Uh, and, and, I just and, couldn't see giving two more hours of my life to watch this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at any rate, I, I I obviously enjoyed it, and I I read a bunch of stuff, and it led me down a rabbit hole of a lot of Eddie Murphy interviews after the movie was released, which was entertaining. You can see it all on YouTube, and then a lot of McMartin things on YouTube as well. And if you go to her website, she has quite a lot of info regarding her project, the church, and then some other projects that she's worked on. But she's primarily a TV writer, which, which makes it interesting. This was like her venture into film. Well, I think she did a good job. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Well, All right, so obviously, that, that's a play for me. Arnez picked a good movie. I don't know if he picked this one specifically for Dell, but it is a good movie, Arnez. I appreciate it. There you go. That's what I want to hear. That's a play for me. I mean, it's a pass for me. Oh, is it, is it a forbidden world pass? No, because I, I, I can pick good things out of this movie. And so okay. if I can tell you that there's good things in this movie, like the acting and things like that, and I especially love the soundtrack, uh, then yeah, there's some good things in this movie, but it's a pass for me. I didn't get, I mean, clearly I wasn't paying enough attention cause I didn't get the, the demon at the end, but I wasn't paying enough attention Arnaz, because I thought it sucked. So I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> you said it didn't hold your attention what you're trying to tell me. Yes. Hmm. <laughs> Arnez, you're off to a good start. Two out of three on a play. Looks like you you picked us some winners so far. I'm going to move on with movie number two now. Clue, 1985, directed by Jonathan Lynn, written by John Landis, who wrote things like Spies Like Us, Training Places, and Blues Brothers. Starring Tim Curry, Madeline Kahn, Christopher Lloyd, and Eileen Brennan. Available for streaming on Amazon Prime. Based on the board game, six guests are anonymously invited to a strange mansion for dinner. But after their host is killed, they must cooperate with the staff to identify the murderer as the bodies pile up. The story begins on a dark and stormy night in 1954 when the six guests casually arrive at the mansion for dinner for a dinner party with their blackmailer, Mr. Body. Only Mr. Body doesn't entirely understand what's going on either. There's a strange game at play and it seems no one entirely in on it. 
As each of the guests are introduced by an alias, our supporting staff is inexplicably murdered one by one. Who done it and with what? That's what everyone is trying to find out. Based on the board game of the same name, a sea of shenanigans ensues, and we are treated to not one possible solution, but three. By far, this is one of my favorite movies. I mean, John Landis is a tremendous writer, and though his directing history is hit or miss sometimes, there's no denying he can provide some of the most exceptional stories. He gave us Animal House, Blues Brothers, Trading Places, Spies Like Us, and Three Amigos, just to name a few. And on the flip side, he also gave us Into the Night, Amazon Women on the Moon, Beverly Hills Cop 3, Innocent Blood, and Stallone's Oscar. So pick your poison when it comes to him. When he was on, he was on, and when he wasn't, he wasn't. I think one of the things that I really took away from this movie is that you don't need Saturday Night Live funny people to pull this movie off. You need talented actors. And while Tim Curry pulls off one of the best physical performances of his career, the other actors are tremendous character actors who do an amazing job putting on their own spin on the characters. The script is true genius at play because this movie is written like a play and the bits are funny. You need talented actors to pull off these bits and every one of the actors knew how to play the optimum level of cheese necessary to pull off the laugh. The script itself is witty and fun. And there's an argument to be made that if you can write a story where the murderer or the murder can be committed by different folks and the endings can be different, you haven't written a very good mystery. But what if multiple people did it in multiple places? Well, then you could get to have a whodunit goldmine. The script plays on the fact that it's easier to get away with murder when you're in the situation with a bunch of people committing murder at the same time. The pylon theory, if you will. But the script plays into this. Take, for instance, the scene in which the cook is killed and the body is discovered. Sadly, no Mrs. Peacock is in the room when the body is discovered, playing into the fact that everyone was kind of in on it. Take the gun. Was there really one bullet left in the gun? Yes. Yes, there was. If you count the bullets, each time you heard a shot, you come to five. It's a shame the movie didn't work during the time. The idea between the three endings, and there was an unfilmed fourth, was the hopes that they could capitalize on multiple viewings. Unfortunately, the movie flopped at the box office, and all three endings would later be given rapid-fire treatment on the DVD. This movie has some cult following in later years, and there's a documentary in the works too. And Ryan Reynolds is trying to get an R-rated version of the movie off the ground and has been attached to Star for about a year now. Originally, it was going to be directed by Jason Bateman, but he had to drop out due to Ozark scheduling conflicts. For me, this movie, it really kind of plays into the fact that I love whodunits. I've always loved whodunits, and whodunits played a big role in my household growing up. When I watched this movie... Every time I watch it, I'm entertained. I like the play aspect. The fact that this movie has actually been turned into a play and there's actually high school performances you can find on YouTube of people reperforming this movie. And that wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, you can flip it in reverse and I'd believe it. Ultimately, I don't have many cons for this movie. If I were to give you some cons for this movie, it's that I wish it did better. That's my con. For me, that movie is perfect 80s cheese. It never intended to be anything more than it is. It is a comedy. It's a physical comedy. It didn't need funny actors in it. It has them. Christopher Lloyd is fantastic. Madeline Kahn as Mrs. White is probably my favorite character in the movie. And from what I've seen online, and a very favorite character of a lot of people. But I would tell you that what you really want from a movie like this, with where the script is laid out like a play, is you just want good actors. You want good actors that can execute the bits and the lines, and they're funny, and they play. They really, really play even to this day. I have nothing but good things to say about this movie. It is in my Hall of Fame movies. 
So oh. I, I knew from the beginning, as soon as Arnez said, hey, let's watch 1985's Clue, I was like, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> so I'm going to give you some interesting facts about the movie, just so you guys can kind of get the idea of some stuff that's going on after the fact. There's a, I already mentioned there's a remake in the works being spearheaded by Ryan Reynolds, which is kind of interesting. I would love to do a fantasy recasting with you guys of like what today actors could pull this off. The movie was considered a big fat flop for its day, but managed to attain a cult following. It managed to gross $14.6 million domestically, so it did get its money back. There's a documentary being done right now called Who Done It? It explores the cult classic movie Clue in post-production right now. You can find it on YouTube. I actually mentioned it on our Facebook sites. For those of you that are mentioned uh, earlier, uh, at Brothers in Armchairs is our podcast is our Facebook site. You can see some of the links I put in there, but YouTube is really the best place to find it. There's the fourth unfilmed ending that would have had Wadsworth poisoning everyone and locking them in the house until the kingdom of heaven dude shows up with the antidote while, while Wadsworth gets away. I'm kind of glad they didn't film it. Sounds terrible. I like the idea that they filmed the three endings under the uh, auspicious that you would go see the movie more than once. They specifically made it so that they could make money off of it. They anticipated that you'd see the one ending and you'd be like, and your friend would say, that's not how it ended. This is what I saw. And that word of mouth would make you want to go see it again. No, that would have pissed people off. (laughs) I think you could get away with it now, but probably not back then, especially with social media. Yeah. For me, this, this movie is a, is a gold mine of great comedy. And for me, it's my favorite Tim Curry film. I know that, you know, he's got Rocky Horror Picture Show and he's been in a lot of cult favorites, but this one is my favorite Tim Curry movie. You know, it's good to hear, Kenny. I, I picked something you like. <laughs> no. <laughs> Dude, um, you and I are more alike than you think. We see a lot of common movies. <laughs> I mean, I happen to like the mystery movies and this one, I can remember when my brother's playing Clue and the fact that they had characters that I could actually see Peacock and uh, Mr. Scarlet or Mrs. Scarlet and Colonel Mustard there. It was just cool. And I think every actor or actress in here fit those characters very well. I don't even think anything about the plot. You already mentioned that. It, I think it was a really good plot. I mean, if you if you play the board game, you kind of know what it's about. I don't need to go into the characters any more than they are, but I mean, they all work really well together. So this is another movie I think that each character was, I don't know if they swapped out characters before they started filming this movie, but... I think it worked really well. I would. I want to see the remake. Yeah, I'm kind of in on that too. I want to see who they get. I want to make sure they do this movie justice. I, I hope they do it justice there. It, it should have done better back in the time there, but I understand it's not what people. some people want to see there. But for me, the big thing with this movie that I liked the best was the fact that it had three endings, three alternate endings. So I thought it was pretty cool. I think they're running around, uh, the, the you know, who did what, you know, was y'all leading up to it? Because, you know, I was confused. I'm like, well, who did it? Who did it? Who did it? You know, and the fact that multiple people did some killing there. It was I mean, cool. I, I like the fact that they incorporate the time too, like the McCarthyism of, ni- of the 1950s, the things that we were afraid of, the communism. And then you find like, oh, communism was just a red herring. You know, like that stuff was, it was hysterical. It was really, really well done. And I, I like the fact that they really just put themselves, they went all in on the characters and it made, made for a great, great movie. I like, like the Mrs. White thing, right? I hated her so much. Just like flames, flames. Like that whole that whole sequence is probably one of my favorite monologues. So if we ever do like a monologue show, like that's totally going in my monologues. Yes, I did it. I killed Yvette. I hated her so much. It it the it flame flames flames on the side of my face. 
Breathing, breath, heaving breaths. Well, you know, especially if you get nostalgic for those character actors of those days, watching that movie now really takes you back because all of them, they do their favorite bits, right? They, they all do their, their shtick. It was nice to see. It was really nice to see. I think the fact that the majority of the character or all the characters in here, they were introduced into it as if they were just showing up, you know, the... I think I don't know if she's the Libby girl or whatever happened, but you know, the singing telegram. Oh yeah, the singing telegram chick. Uh, uh, and your singing, singing telegram. I am your singing telegram. Okay. <laughs> I just like that about this movie. It was just it was just like oh wow that's why she was there that's why he was there. Didn't know that, but right. it made sense. I, I mean, I thought you know the overall the whole movie the writing was really good again i'd like to see the the remake i think if i recast it too like i would want to cast i would want to cast some saturday night live actors as the people that get killed like the out the people on the outer Mm. not the main characters Mm. but i think it would be absolutely hysterical like will ferrell is like the cook you know, <laughs> I just think like he would make the death scene that much. Oh, no, I, I need hysterical. Will Ferrell as a bigger character. <laughs> I need him as a bigger character. I can't do him like that. Get uh, Tarim kill him as somebody in there, you know, the sing telegram boy or something. I don't know. It'd be hysterical. Like I, I would just like the, the actual comedic actors to be on the outside. And did you guys see the Adam Sandler movie, the murder mystery movie? Yeah, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I did too. And I felt like that that was pretty close to Clue. That was pretty close to a a modern Clue movie. That was the Netflix one, right? Yeah. Yeah, That was was a good flick. I enjoyed it. Is that the one with Jennifer Anderson? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. So I I like the quirkiness of this thing. And it's so quotable. It has so many good quotes in this movie. Well, anything when you garner cult following, when you get that cult following, you know, standard stamp on your movie, they are going to extract every ounce out of that movie, whether it be for good things or bad things, every ounce of that movie will be extracted out of it. And I think a lot of it is that's how you get that cult following status. It's quotable. You can do it yourself. You know, and then it's timeless in a way. I mean, the movie already was released in the 80s, right? And it was set in, what was it, the 30s? 50s. 50s, yeah. Yeah. So it was set in the 50s. So even when it was out, it was already timeless. It's a a movie adaptation of a board game with no in-between. There's no in-between there. Board game into a movie. You know, and... That that's only going to get done in the eighties, and then who helms the project? John Landis, right? Yeah, John. But John Landis, late seventies, eighties, was a big thing. He he fit the times perfectly. He had the right comedy sense. He had the right risk attitude of risk, which is why we have some John Landis plug movies, right? But he risked it, and when he brought when he made this movie, even with the influence of Curry and a few other folks, it just is one of those movies that everything gelled together. The only thing I felt that this movie missed the mark is that it was made three years too late. I think if it had been made three years prior to, maybe even four years prior to, that it would have been a much, much bigger movie. When it was released, it just so happens to be lump sum with all the big blockbusters that are being made at the day. People were hungry for that kind of movie. They weren't hungry for this kind of movie. And so the, the long-standing dramas that, that, you know, like Arnez's beloved Beaches movie, you know, 
a lot of those long-standing dramas, uh, they started to fade away. They were still being made, but they weren't the big number one movie headliners of the weekend anymore. And so I, I do feel that this movie missed the mark on that. Had it come out earlier, it had been, it had been better received. I don't know if it had been a better movie, but it would have been better received. If you grew up in the 80s, if you like murder mysteries, if you like watching character actors, if you just like a well-put-together, well-timed, and innovative movie, all done in one single house, it, it's, it's interesting. And even today, I hadn't seen it since the 80s, I still couldn't figure out who did what. <laughs> you know, wow. and I, I've seen this movie before, and I, I knew it. I already knew it had different endings. I knew that. I knew there was one ending that was the right ending, and I still sat there and I couldn't. I was like, okay, this shouldn't be hard at all, right? I remember this movie to be kind of cheesy, so I'm watching it. And I'm like, crap, I can't remember who killed what, and I can't figure it out. So even now, even till today, as a whodunit film, it's good. Like you ain't, you're not gonna figure this film out. Until the very ending. And even then, if anyone were so cocky as to come out and said, oh, yeah, I knew that. Liar, I say. Liar. (laughs) (laughs) Well, something I have to say about this movie that's really interesting that, I mean, it was a board game. It was a book. It was done in theater. And there's a movie about it. So I'm not sure what other movies that can reach all those you know, that's that's a good point. And I'm and over here. I'm over here trying. I think it's too. It's one of those few movies that, as a board game, translated well to film. In the age of movie studios trying to pilfer some sort of IP, we've been treated to some pretty awful board game movies. Uh, <laughs> this one actually, to me, kind of achieved its mark. I thought it was a very well done board game to screen movie. Yeah. yeah. So definitely. as far as stealing the show for me, Kenny, it, it's Tim Curry. I mean, I mean, he's fantastic, dude. Tim Curry, for me, you know, when I think of Tim Curry as his apex, I'm sorry. I happen to be a fan of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I love his character in there because it's so damn outrageous. Matter of fact, a lot of people who see it now don't realize it's Tim Curry. But in this show, I think without him, this show would not have been as good as it was. That is, you couldn't replace Tim Curry. I have to agree. You're right. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. It'd be interesting to see what they do for the remake. And what they and what they choose to keep and, and ditch. I mean, I would assume Landis's script is gonna stay somewhat intact. I don't know. Everybody likes to make things a little more cynical now, a little yeah. darker. Uh hopefully DC doesn't get a hold of it. <laughs> oh <laughs> Shazam was great. <laughs> <laughs> but no, if that project takes off, man, I I'd I'd love to to be talking about the project as it as it as it builds. And then finally getting to go watch the movie with y'all and, and talking about it. Because, you know, it's a can't miss thing. And if you miss on that movie, I want to be there to point that out. I would like to see. I think Ryan Reynolds could pull off the Wadsworth thing. I think he could do it very well. He may not be the same physical type of comedy that Tim Curry lent himself to, but it would be funny. And oh, I think Reynolds that, is all about the verbal. Yeah. He definitely yeah. has that part of it. But if you were really going to pull off a decent uh, Wadsworth man, and you wanted just word funny, I mean, then you got to go out and get Vince Vaughn, right? Because nobody rocks the monologues as oh, good as Vince Vaughn does. <laughs> Jim Carrey. You think? Jim, Jim Carrey can Carrey. handle the physical aspect, but verbally he wouldn't be as entertaining. Mm, no, he's a little older now. I think he could do it. I think at his young age, he could do it easy, Jim Carrey. I think this, this, this is the funnest part of this movie, is, is, and it's built this way, is to ask yourself, who else would you like to see in it? And I think that's why it lends itself to a play because you could just rotate actors in and out and they can all go to the play and they can all see it. And that's what makes a great play. One of my favorite movies 
out there is a movie called Noises Off, and it's a, a movie based on a play. And the whole time you're watching it, it's a movie with John Ritter. You keep imagining other people that could come in and, and do the same roles and do something different. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's that kind of movie where you can just kind of plug and play. But I, I agree, Dells. Tim Curry stands on his own in this movie. Like, you, it would not have been nearly as good without him. No, not at all. But I do like me some Madeline Kahn. All right, let's 3P it up. Well, I'm, I'm obviously a play. I'm a play. Yeah, it's a play for me. Even if I hadn't watched it as a kid growing up in the 80s, I'd have still enjoyed it today because honestly, I haven't watched it since the 80s and it was still a great movie, great entertainment. Wow, good to hear. All right, Arnez, you're off to a great start, man. You got five plays and one pass. You're killing it. It brings us to movie number three, The Pirate Movie, 1982, directed by Ken Anakin and starring Christy McNichol and Christopher Atkins, available on YouTube. Based on the musical, The Pirates of the Penzance, the crew of the large ship sail the high seas encountering other pirates from other ships. The boy from the ship ends up having to save his girlfriend, who was kidnapped by a bunch of other pirates. So, I mean, for me, again, I picked this movie. This I thought was a very fun movie. So just a little more background on it. The character Mabel, played by Christy McNichol, and the character Frederick, played by Christopher Atkins there. Mabel, she's actually an exchange student in Australia there. Her and her friends go to this pirate festival there, or her her, stu- her uh, classmates go to this pirate festival, and he uh, invites them on his sailboat there. So they, you know, get everything packed up, and, you know, and basically Christy, she's coming last, Mabel's coming last to the pier there with all her stuff in their hands, and they kind of trick her, and so they set sail without her. And, of course, she's the nerdy one out of the bunch, so she realizes that, oh, look, wait, there's a sailboat over there. I'm going to sail after them. And, of course, she knows how to sail. And a, and a storm comes up. And next thing you know, she wakes up on the beach in a, that old era, like a century past. And she kind of says how she wants this happy life and stuff like that. So, I mean, that's basically the plot. This is a singing movie. So there's a lot of singing in there. But it's an uplifting singing in there. Everything about this movie, to me, was just fun. You know, they had a lot of reference from other movies in there, you know, Star Wars, Indiana Jones. It's kind of hard to describe this movie. Um, I describe it as a Grease 2, not the original Grease, but Grease 2. And if you've ever seen the movie Xanadu with Olivia Newton-John. Newton-John there. It's yeah. kind of the same. I would. Uh, okay. As me, as the same genre. This movie did not do well at all at the box office there it did more which i'd like to point out as a common theme under all three of these movies is that they were critically panned and box office flops but all got great audience scores and became critical uh, not critical uh, fan favorite darlings yes so they have a this one has a cult following as well uh which i thought was pretty cool i was like wow i can't believe i didn't realize that you know i own this movie um me too part of the cult you guys are both part of the cult. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an uplifting movie. You know, I, I think it's a fun movie to go into. If you don't walk out of this or get up from this show or watch this and walk out feeling just happy and like, oh, that was pretty cool there. I don't know what's wrong with you. Yes, there's some pretty, back in the 80s there, you know, it wasn't big on them talking back to the camera there, looking at the camera like they know they're being filmed. But this movie showed it. It worked. You know, there's a couple of scenes where she's looking at the camera. He's looking at the camera going, yeah, uh-huh. You know? I, I often like things when they break the fourth wall. I always find that entertaining. It is. You know, I don't think they had a choice, though. <laughs> I think they were forced to break that wall. <laughs> yeah, it's part of the script. <laughs> or you think they'd be like, or you think it's no, like that, I, that whole domestic abuse thing where they're all like, help me. 
I'm in trouble. <laughs> Save me. <laughs> They're using that special forces hand sign, uh, sign language. That's right. <laughs> you know, they, they, they say this movie is based on the Pirates of Penzance. You know, I saw that, but I like this movie better. Play. It was a play. I, think. I mean, that, so the Gilbert and Sullivan Pirate of Penzance was actually super popular, and this movie was deliberately trying to capitalize on its popularity. That was think, one of the trivia things I found on it. Yeah. I mean, I think every character this movie played, a, every actor or actress played a very good part there. I thought the, the names they had on me had the Pirate King played by uh, Ted Hamilton there, which I think he did a great in this movie. He even saying, you know, I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's okay. You know. But overall, what did, this is one of my picks. What did he sing? Uh, saying, the, little, saying the Pirate King, yeah, Ted Hamilton. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. On the ship, right? Yep. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then All he right. cuts a hole in the sail, and that guy goes, oh, no, not again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, so just, just so that I can save a little bit of myself after I get going here talking about this movie, it does have funny moments. Let's see, Derek, I was going to say, you know, it has a lot of funny moments. To me, it does. Even though it's kind of a romantic comedy there, and they kind of show that. For back in the 80s, you had the romantic movies out, and this was a comedy that just kind of, like I said, uplifting. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to jump in here before Dell crushes all our dreams. <laughs> I'm going to just kind of, <laughs> I'm going to piggyback. I, I agree with you, Arnaz. I had never seen the movie before. When you first picked it, I was like, oh my God, this looks so awful. <laughs> the fact that I couldn't find it anywhere, only YouTube, and it was like some horrendous, like, was it 480p? Yeah, wasn't 480p. Even HD. Yeah. yeah, it was so awful. I was like, oh no, this is going to stink. I liked it for the good for me. It's just good old 80s fun. It's pretty movie that lends itself to all the qualities that make 80s fun. Short on plot, high on bubblegum and cheese. Lighthearted, it definitely doesn't take itself seriously. I also enjoyed Christy McNichol. Uh, she's just the sort of 80s fair-haired maiden with her dreams of love and independence that make men want to protect her and women want to be her. I would say that she's probably the perfect girl. A modern-day comparison is probably Emma Stone. Girls love her. Guys love her. On a side note, I, I think that she just did a fantastic job in the movie. I also loved Ted Hamilton. I thought he was the best thing in the movie. He is a wonderful stage actor who unfortunately did not have a film career after this role. But he is fantastic as the Pirate King. I think more 80s movie villains should try to be more Ted Hamilton. That's, that's how good I thought he was. The music isn't bad with the exception of pumping and blowing. Oh, Every, everything up. is pretty catchy, but that pumping... So pumping and blowing went into my cons pile here. It's a musical number that has not aged well. The song itself, which I'm assuming is a giant euphemism, is just poorly executed and timed in the movie. Like It just comes out of nowhere. And while I understand it's a dream, the animation effects, they're pretty bad. Uh, also, I'm just curious, do you know, when did we stop including animation in our movies? Like, I mean, it seemed like for a while there, there was a period of time where animation just kind of popped up in a movie and then suddenly it just kind of stopped because people were like, yeah, this is a stupid idea, people. This is not working. Well, um, I think it started getting too real. Oh, you think that's what it was? <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it became too real. Uh, what is it? Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Oh, yeah, it was a great movie. Also has not aged well. The other bad thing for me is that dream sequences tend to be my least favorite of the 80s tropes. Movies based on dream sequences and even episodes from television weren't much fun. Our current iteration of dream sequence uh, TV shows and movies is much better. It allows actors to stretch themselves, allows things to happen, and for people to pretend to be parts of their character that they don't get to be. 
but in the 80s, it always seemed like that dream sequence. And they did it in everything from family ties to growing pains. You know, every one of them, you could count on a dream episode where the whole thing was a dream. And I used to hate them. <laughs> that was terrible. Uh, I did. I also thought Christopher Atkins wasn't very good in this movie. I looked him up. He's in a slew of terrible 80s movies. But just so you know, he actually went on to a pretty good television career and he's still performing in TV today. He actually still gets bit roles and stuff like that. So uh, where he failed as a movie actor, he succeeded as a TV actor. And if you're watching the movie and you're wondering like, where have I seen him before? He was in uh, the Brook Shields uh, Return to Blue Lagoon. He was the male character in that movie. So for me, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. And now I will let Dell crush. <laughs> All right. So comment on it. <laughs> so it, it, it is a flag day and it was on the list. So like Kenny, I, I went to YouTube and I pulled it up and it's in like 480p or whatever it is, which didn't help the cause at all. I didn't want to buy it. So I went ahead and watched it that way. That, however, did not lend to my ultimate decision about this movie. So start with the cons. It is the eight, the early 80s cheese movie. It's basically what we're looking at is an Australian Pirates of Penzance. Pirates of Penzance, for anybody who doesn't know, was meant to be a comedy. It is not a serious play at all. It is always meant to be a comedy. It's just that the, the take on this movie, I think, was meant to take that comedy up a notch, incorporate the era that it was being filmed in, and the actors that were hot during that time frame. But the biggest problem that these guys had is they wanted to do this movie, and then Pap, who brought Pirates of Penzance to Broadway, had announced that he was making a film adaptation of Pirates of Penzance, and he was working on it currently. So they quickly hit the pedal to the metal and rushed to make this movie. And you can see it when you watch this movie. My take is they probably didn't do a whole lot of retakes when they were filming scenes. There's obviously a not, not a lot of choreography going on in the background for the musical numbers, but for what it is, it is put together. Well, I think with their budget and their time frame for filming, they did they, they, pretty good. I just, you know, that for me, there wasn't a lot to enjoy in the film as a whole. I, I just, there really wasn't it, the, for me, the comedy, it was meh. It wasn't, it wasn't memorable. It, it made, it did have its funny moments, but I'm not even sure if it was meant to be funny. You know, like I'm laughing sarcastically at it. I, you know, but that's, that's the best kind of comedy. Is when no, 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 right. and, and, but, but this, but this goes back to what you had said a couple of episodes uh, ago, Kenny, where, where this is the type of movie that does become a cult classic because they were trying to make a hit. But they didn't make a hit, but it's so bad that it's good. And so, so that's where we're at. However, it's, for me, it's so bad that it's just bad. No. <laughs> it's just bad. I'm sorry. I, the only good thing that I extracted from this movie was the fact that it led me on a rabbit, a rabbit chase. And I, I was like, okay, well, what did Pap end up making? And he ended up, he did finish that film. It was a 1983 film, The Pirates of Penzance. And it was, re, it was released in Europe. It was a co-Europe American production. It was released in Europe. It bombed in both countries, but it received uh, high reviews from critics and audience. And I haven't seen it yet, but look, listen to the stars, man. Kevin Klein, Angela Lansbury, Linda Ronstadt, they're all in this dang movie. And the only reason I know it exists because I watched this monstrosity. For that, I give it some credit. It led me to, to know that this other movie exists. I haven't watched it yet. But yeah, I'm just... 
this was uh, a definitely a, a Arnez bag of bag kind of movie. It, 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 it is. I mean, it, it's not it my you, bag. If it makes you feel any better, Dell, uh, it did set the record for the most Razzies. It was up for nine <laughs> Razzie awards. It won eight of them, including worst picture. Wow. Not at all surprising. Uh, congratulations to them. They certainly earned it. Wow. Yeah. Now I, I will say that it is worth a watch just to add to your spectrum of movie libraries that you, you know, so you, so you have some relativeness as to types of movies that are out there. I think this should be a watch movie for, for anyone who considers themselves a movie buff. I think that now that I have watched it, I feel better about proclaiming myself <laughs> as a movie reviewer. Uh, so said, at least now that, that I've, I have watched it, I can move right. on. And <laughs> yeah, no, no, exactly. I, I can now, now when somebody approaches me and says, all right, Del, have you seen the pirate movie? I will roll my eyes and say, yeah, yes, I As, have. How often has that happened to you at the crap stable? <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Hamilton might be standing next to me. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he's, he's that homeless guy outside the cab. I was going to say, hey, you, you look familiar. Well, have you ever seen the pirate movie? Well, yes, I have. I have seen the pirate movie. Yeah. And then we go grab a foot long hot dog together and have a night. Oh, I mean, your take is okay on it. But again, I mean. Oh, I like how you downplay his his opinion. Your take's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, it's my take. It's my take. Yes, your take. <laughs> and the fact that this movie is still out there and it's it's got a following. It's forward. not but, out there. It's not it's, out it there. It is man. not out there. It's 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 like in there, in a drawer, somewhere, as where as they only make where there. they only make 480p versions of it and release it on YouTube without any advertisements that is there. You know, okay, given that, if you if you saw it in HD right now, you know, you'd probably be like, okay, they, they didn't spend a lot of money, but the scenery, the background, the castle that they filmed on, you know, it's pretty nice. It's not a tourist film. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I forgot Arnez watches movies for travel. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to see Australia yeah. <laughs> in the late 70s, early 80s, then no, it's not. Okay, but but I I will give it to you, Arnez. In if it was in HD, it would show us uh, really nice scenery. Yes. Okay. I I, I okay. feel that I do, and 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 yes, I did. I did watch the thing in 480p. Not not by choice, mind you. I could have found a better version. I just didn't feel it was worth my effort. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, Kenny already mentioned you know <laughs> one bad song in here, but. I mean, if you think about it, Grease 1, Grease 2. Um, I don't think I've ever seen Grease 2. You got to stop comparing this movie to Grease. Well, he's not compared to Grease. He's, he's compared to Grease 2 with Michelle Pfeiffer. <laughs> no, he just said Grease 1. No, he said Grease 2. He said Grease 1, Grease 2. I said Xanadu. Well, I, I feel the Xanadu part, that was just not just as bad, but it was pretty bad. <laughs> Xanadu just had a lot more money. I've never seen Xanadu either. Don't, don't really? do it again. Oh, don't do it. <laughs> That'll be next year's Flag Day episode. <laughs> <laughs> now, now Xanadu, however, does have a great soundtrack. I mean, those songs did hit the pop yeah. charts. Yeah. Uh, Greece, you know, going back to Greece One, that was the hottest album of that year. 
So I, I find it necessary to point it out because you did mention it. Uh, Happy Endings did hit the Billboard Top 100. It reached 70 on the top Billboard. What? So it did did it, it? did, yeah. It oh, did. my God. It did that's make a, it. That's, that's not good. Listen to the lyrics of the song, that's too. Well, what year did it hit? The, was it the year? It was, it was 1982. Year? Really? Man, that's not good. That's so bad. Really? So bad. <laughs> <laughs> the lyrics of that song? So Yes, yes, I did listen to the lyrics of that song. I had to actually watch it twice because I wasn't really understanding what I was watching. <laughs> Kenny, or actually, if we can get our sound engineer, this is about the point I would like to insert a fart noise. That's a sound effect I do not have. <laughs> So I have to say, actually, this this whole episode has been good. I want my happy ending, and this was it. You know, both of you liked at least one of the movies, and we all liked one movie together. So this is my happy ending. Look, Arnez, this movie did make me smile. That's a happy. That, it was happy. I'm happy. I, look, I'm laughing about it. It didn't make me angry. I'm not disappointed. It just makes me smile. Let's 3P it up. All right, man. You sound kind of angry when you say it. That's right, because he knows how you feel about this movie. I know. <laughs> so as a player, Dell, what's your thing? Yes. <laughs> well, that's your opinion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Kenny, what's yours? I gave it a play. And mine's a play, so I give a happy ending. Yes, <laughs> happy ending. Two plays. <laughs> You know what, Arnez? You actually didn't do too bad in this episode. So that was so that was three, four, five, six, seven, seven plays and two passes. So that's pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good outcome. Seven to two. Yeah, I ain't gonna lie. I was going into it when when you put that list of movies out there. I was like, ooh, it's not gonna end well. <laughs> I wanted to see something that was, you know, I do watch other movies out there other than B movies or C movies there. Well, yeah. you know, you, you, I've said it, I've said it multiple times. You are the risk taker of this group. You are willing to spend a couple of hours watching the most random movie out there and you'll actually give it its due. Oh, Arnez, I can't wait to see what you give us next year. Let's recap our recommendations for each movie. Mr. Church. That's a play for me. Play. Pass for me. Pirate story. That's a play. Pass. <laughs> play. <laughs> Out of curiosity, is it a forbidden world pass? Mm, oh, oh, actually, because I did get some entertainment out of that movie. Okay. So no, not Forbidden World Pass. All right. Clue? Yeah, that is a play. Play. Play for me as well. Hey, real Mark. quick, Arnez. You know, I was a little worried about, about you picking the movies, but the fact that I got to spend six hours watching movies that you picked wasn't, a, wasn't high on my list of things to do. But <laughs> I don't know if you purposely did it. But you picked us three very different movies. I mean, these there's nothing. These movies are not similar to each other. They're very different. It was very interesting to watch them and then compare them to themselves and then compare them to each other. So I appreciate it, man. You you did good. Happy Flag Day. Yeah, I I would also jump on that and say Happy Flag Day. I enjoyed them as well, <laughs> and uh, I can't wait to see what you come up with it for us next year. Before we sign off for you military folks out there, active reserve or retired, we'd love to hear from you too. What are the movie's favorites in your unit's movie locker? We'd like to introduce a segment called The Movie Locker in which we discuss what movies make it into the regular rotation while in deployment. The good, the bad, and even the ugly. So drop us an email and let us know. Don't forget to subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd love to hear from you on email or social media. You can email us online at brothersinarmchairspodcast at gmail.com Visit us on Twitter at Bro Armchairs. 
Join our Facebook group at Brothers in Armchairs Podcast or follow our Instagram at Brothers in Armchairs Podcast. Thanks for listening and we hope you catch our bi-weekly episode and keep an eye out for any impromptu episodes in between. For myself, RDS, and Dell, this has been a Brothers in Armchairs Podcast. Goodbye, everybody. See ya. Aloha. Stop.